This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to molecular biology basics and Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which are two topics that we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. We'll start with molecular biology basics, and the first question reads, Which of the following best describes the process of transcription? And the choices are 1. Reading DNA information to synthesize and replicate during the S phase of the cell cycle. 2. Generating a haploid product with a genotype that differs from both haploid genotypes that constituted the meiotic diploid cell. 3. Generating a polypeptide whose amino acid sequence is derived from the codon sequence of an mRNA molecule. 4. Exchanging of two non-homologous chromosomes resulting in chromosomal rearrangement mutations. And 5. Reading DNA information by RNA polymerase to make specific complementary mRNA. So the process of reading DNA information by RNA polymerase to make specific complementary mRNA is known as transcription. So the correct answer to this question is 5. Reading DNA information by RNA polymerase to make specific complementary mRNA. Transcription relies on the complementary pairing of bases to create mRNA from DNA. The two strands of the double helix separate, and one of the separated strands serves as a template. Then, free nucleotides are arranged on the DNA template by their complementary ribonucleotide bases in the template. The free ribonucleotide adenine aligns with thymine in the DNA, guanine with cytosine, cytosine with guanine, and uracil with adenine. Musgrave et al. discuss orthopedic surgery-related gene therapy and tissue engineering topics. Specific sectors of musculoskeletal medicine where gene therapy and tissue engineering have shown promise and early treatment success include the areas of bone healing, cartilage repair, intervertebral disc pathology, and skeletal muscle injuries. So to quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, reading DNA information to synthesize and replicate during the S phase of the cell cycle is incorrect as this is the definition of replication. Answer 2, of generating a haploid product with a genotype that differs from both haploid genotypes that constituted the meiotic diploid cell is incorrect as this is the definition of recombination. Recombinants are those products of meiosis with allelic combinations different from those of the haploid cells that formed the meiotic diploid. Answer 3. Generating a polypeptide whose amino acid sequence is derived from the codon sequence of an mRNA molecule is incorrect, as this is the definition of translation. And 4. Exchanging of two non-homologous chromosomes resulting in chromosomal rearrangement mutations is incorrect, as this is the definition of translocation. Examples of translocation include Ewing sarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, and synovial sarcoma. Moving on to the next question, what modulator of inflammation is most closely associated with a herniated nucleus pulposus? And the choices are 1, TNF-alpha, 2, TGF-beta, 3, IL-10, 4, MMP-1, and 5, IF-gamma. So pro-inflammatory cytokines play an important role in the pathophysiology of pain associated with a herniated disc. Several cytokines have been detected in both in vitro and in vivo models, including TNF-alpha, IL-1, and IL-8, among others. Of these, TNF-alpha has been consistently implicated as the main offender among inflammatory modulators potentially responsible for nerve root pain in the setting of a herniated disc. So the correct answer to this question is 1, TNF-alpha. Moving on to the next question, what assay is commonly used to examine the level of messenger RNA or mRNA of a particular gene? And the choices are 1, western blot, 2, southern blot, 
3. Reverse Transcription Polymerase Chain Reaction, or RT-PCR. 4. Immunocytochemical Analysis. And 5. Enzyme-Linked Immunosorbent Assay, or ELISA. So RT-PCR is the only method to quantify the level of mRNA inside the cells. So the correct answer to this question is 3. RT-PCR. The Western blot is an assay to detect protein expression level inside the cells. ELISA is a biochemical technique used mainly in immunology to detect the presence of an antibody or an antigen in a sample. Immunocytochemical analysis is a technique to stain cells using antibody to localize a certain protein within the cells. Southern blot is a technique to detect genomic DNA expression of a certain gene. Moving on to the next question. DNA replication occurs during which phase of the cell cycle? And the choices are 1M, 2S, 3R, 4G1, and 5G2. So the cell cycle consists of four distinct phases, initial growth of G1, DNA replication slash synthesis, or S, a gap, G2, and mitosis, or M. The G1 and G2 phase of the cell cycle represent the, quote, gaps or growth phases in the cell cycle that occur between DNA synthesis and mitosis. G0 cells are in a stable state and have not entered the cell cycle. During the S phase, the DNA is synthesized and replicated. During the M phase, or mitosis, all genetic material divides into two daughter cells. The cells are diploid, 2N, in the G0 and G1 phases. The cells become tetraploid, or 4N, at the end of the S phase and for the entire G2 phases. There is no R phase in the cell cycle. So the correct answer to this question is 2. DNA replication occurs in the S phase of the cell cycle. Moving on to the next question, what is the post-amplification product of reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction, or RT-PCR? And the choices are 1. RNA, 2. DNA, 3. Protein, 4. Mitochondria, and 5. Immunoglobulins. So reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction, or RT-PCR, is a variant of polymerase chain reaction used in molecular biology to generate many copies of a DNA sequence from fragments of RNA. The RNA strand is first reverse transcribed into its DNA component, followed by amplification of the resulting DNA using polymerase chain reaction. Polymerase chain reaction amplifies short segments of DNA by using the temperature-stable DNA polymerase enzyme. So the correct answer to this question is 2, DNA. Moving on to the next question. All of the following statements regarding RNA are true except, and the choices are 1, RNA uses thymine while DNA uses uracil, 2. RNA may be either single or double-stranded. 3. RNA has a hydroxyl group at the 2' position in the ribose. 4. DNA has a hydrogen group at the 2' position in the deoxyribose. And 5. RNA helix is of A form. So all of the statements listed are true except for 1. RNA uses thymine while DNA uses uracil, which is a false statement, which is why it's the correct answer in this except question. To quickly review, there are two types of nucleic acids, deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA, and ribonucleic acid, or RNA. The DNA contains the genetic codes to make RNA, and the RNA in turn then contains the codes for the primary sequence of amino acids to make proteins. The DNA bases are thymine, adenine, guanine, and cytosine. RNA bases are uracil, adenine, guanine, and cytosine. DNA is double-stranded, whereas RNA may be either single or double-stranded. DNA has a hydrogen group instead of a hydroxyl group at the 2' position in the ribose. 
DNA is only located in the nucleus, whereas RNA is found in the nucleus and the cytoplasm in the form of mRNA. RNA helix geometry is of A form, whereas the DNA helix is of B form. Moving on to the next question. Tumor necrosis factor receptor 1 is involved in which of the following cellular events? And the choices are 1, replication, 2, agenesis, 3, apoptosis, 4, senescence, and 5, ectopy. So apoptosis is defined as a sequence of events leading to programmed cell death. A cell undergoing apoptosis goes through a series of signaling events in which the cell disposes of itself in a neat and orderly manner. This is in contrast to cell lysis where the cell is destroyed, releasing its contents including harmful enzymes and DNA material which is toxic to neighboring cells. So the correct answer to this question is 3, apoptosis. Ashkenazi et al. present a review of apoptosis including the biochemical mechanism behind the programming. They note that the death receptors FAS and tumor necrosis factor receptor 1 trigger apoptosis upon engagement by their cognate death ligands. And moving on to the final question for this topic, which of the following statements best describes a plasmid? And the choices are 1, an extrachromosomal circular piece of DNA that replicates independently of host DNA, 2, an extrachromosomal linear piece of RNA which replicates independently of host DNA, 3, a protein which promotes transcription of DNA to RNA, 4, a gene which leads to cancerous cell transformation, and 5, a gene which suppresses cancerous cell transformation. So a plasmid is an extrachromosomal circular piece of DNA that replicates independently of host DNA. So the correct answer to this question is 1. A plasmid is an extrachromosomal circular piece of DNA that replicates independently of host DNA. To quickly review, in nature, plasmids frequently carry genes that may benefit the survival of the organism, such as antibiotic resistance genes. Artificially, plasmids are frequently used as vectors to introduce genes into a cell and change genetic expression. This has potential therapeutic benefits for the treatment of arthritis and bone healing. Whalen et al. discuss various methods for transferring therapeutic genes into an arthritic joint. These include gene transfer through a vector inserted directly into a joint and indirect transfer where synovial cells are isolated and genetically modified using vectors then transplanted back into the joint. Lieberman et al. present a review discussing the potential future benefits of gene transfer in bone healing, spine fusion, and articular cartilage repair. And moving on to the final topic of Charcot-Marie tooth disease, the first question reads, The foot orthosis slash footwear prescription for correction of a flexible deformity typically seen in Charcot-Marie tooth disease includes which of the following components? And the choices are 1. Lateral heel and forefoot posting. 2. Medial heel wedge with lateral forefoot posting. 3. Metatarsal pad for global metatarsal head offloading. 4. 3 8 inch heel lift with firm heel counter. And 5. Satch with medial flare. So the typical Charcot-Marie tooth deformity consists of a cavus foot with plantar flexion of the first ray with compensatory heel varus. The corrective foot orthosis for this deformity, if flexible on examination, would include a lateral heel posting, that is a wedge, to shift the heel into a more neutral position, and a lateral forefoot posting to elevate the lateral border of the foot and accommodate and neutralize the varus-producing effects of the fixed plantar flexion of the first ray. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Lateral heel and forefoot posting. None of the other devices listed will produce this result. The medial heel wedge will make the deformity worse. 
Global metatarsal relief is often added to the Charcot-Marie tooth foot orthosis for pain relief, but will not correct the cavus deformity, nor will a 3-8 inch heel lift. A lateral flare might be useful on the shoe to help control the lateral thrust on the shoe caused by a varus heel, but a medial flare will accentuate the deformity. Adding a satch cushioning material to the heel would soften the heel and not correct hind foot malalignment. Moving on to the next question. Type 1 Charcot-Marie tooth disease is a disorder of which of the following structures? And the choices are 1. Myelin sheath, 2. Perineural vasculature, 3. Neuronal cell body, 4. Dendrite, and 5. Neuromuscular junction. So Charcot-Marie tooth type 1 disease affects approximately 80% of Charcot-Marie tooth patients and is the most common type of Charcot-Marie tooth disease. This is an autosomal dominant genetic disorder that causes demyelination, which can be detected by measuring nerve conduction velocities. Symptoms usually start in early adulthood, including foot drop, hammer toe, and muscle wasting in the feet with a high arch. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Myelin sheath. Moving on to the next question. A 47-year-old man with Charcot-Marie tooth disease was treated with a fifth metatarsal head resection for a symptomatic bunionette two years ago. What is the most likely complication seen at this time? And the choices are 1. Transfer lesion to the fourth metatarsal head. 2. Fifth toe fixed claw toe deformity. 3. Ulceration at the level of the resected head. 4. Peroneal atrophy. And 5. Charcot arthropathy with midfoot collapse and forefoot abduction. So Charcot-Marie tooth is characterized by a cavovarus foot position that increases weight-bearing stresses along the lateral border. Removal of the fifth metatarsal head carries the risk of creating a transfer lesion at the fourth metatarsal head, particularly with a cavovarus foot. Claw toes are common in Charcot-Marie tooth disease, but the fifth toe would be flail in this situation. Ulceration is unlikely given the lack of underlying bone. Perineal atrophy is associated with Charcot-Marie tooth disease, but would not be a complication of this procedure. Charcot arthropathy is a neuropathic process frequently seen in individuals with diabetes mellitus. But the correct answer to this question, asking about the most likely complication after a fifth metatarsal head resection for a symptomatic bunionette, the correct answer is 1. Transfer lesion to the fourth metatarsal head. Moving on to the next question. The cavovarus deformity associated with Charcot-Marie tooth disease is caused by which of the following? And the choices are 1. Streptococcal disease during infancy, 2. Viral infection of the motor nerves, 3. Sex-linked selective motor imbalance, 4. Autosomal dominant myelin sheath disease, and 5. Germ cell defect leading to asymmetrical growth disturbance. So the most common inherited neuromuscular disease seen by orthopedic surgeons is Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which is an inherited autosomal dominant disease. It's most commonly seen in men due to the nature of the inheritance. Identification of cavus deformity in the foot of a child should arouse suspicion. So the correct answer to this question is 4. Autosomal dominant myelin sheath disease. Moving on to the next question. A 17-year-old girl with Charcot-Marie tooth disease reports the development of progressive instability when walking on uneven surfaces. Her involved heel is positioned in varus when viewed from behind. Examination reveals that she walks on the outer border of the involved foot. She has full passive motion of the ankle and hind foot joints. She's able to dorsiflex the ankle against resistance. The heel varus fully corrects with the Coleman block test. Standing radiographs reveal a cavus deformity with valgus of the forefoot. 
she would like to avoid using an ankle foot orthosis. What is the best surgical option? And the choices are 1. Dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal. 2. Dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal combined with an anterior transfer of the tibialis posterior. 3. Triplanar osteotomy at the apex of the deformity. 4. Triplanar osteotomy at the apex of the deformity combined with valgus calcaneal osteotomy. And 5. Triplanar osteotomy at the apex of the deformity combined with anterior transfer of the tibialis posterior. So this deformity is early in the disease process. The foot is still flexible, as evidenced by correction with the Coleman block test. A simple dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal should provide a plantigrade foot. More complex osteotomies are required later in the disease process when the foot is not flexible and the deformity does not correct with the Coleman block test. The patient may also require a tibialis anterior transfer later in the disease process, but not at the present time. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal. Moving on to the next question. Progressive bilateral cable varus are the most common foot deformity in patients with, and the choices are 1. Hereditary sensory motor neuropathy, 2. Duchenne muscular dystrophy, 3. Cerebral palsy, 4. Myelomeningocele, and 5. Wardening-Hoffman spinal muscular atrophy. So progressive bilateral cable varus foot deformity is most commonly seen in patients with hereditary motor sensory neuropathy, a group of progressive peripheral neuropathies of which Charcot-Marie tooth disease is the most common. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Hereditary sensory motor neuropathy. Of all patients with bilateral cable varus feet, 78% are diagnosed with Charcot-Marie tooth disease. Equinovarus foot deformity will develop in most boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. The most common foot problems in children with cerebral palsy include equinus, equinovarus, and equinovalgus foot deformities. Common foot deformities seen in patients with myelomeningocele include clubfoot, congenital vertical talus, and calcaneal deformity. Type 1 spinal muscular atrophy, also called Wernig-Hoffman disease, is a fatal condition that appears in children who are aged 6 months or younger. These infants do not develop a cavovarus foot deformity. Moving on to the next question. In Charcot-Marie tooth disease, a progressive deformity develops in the foot. Which functional muscles predominate in deformity formation? And the choices are 1. Posterior tibialis and peroneus longus, 2. Posterior tibialis and peroneus brevis, 3. Anterior tibialis and peroneus longus, 4. Anterior tibialis and peroneus brevis, and 5. Extensor digitorum and anterior tibialis. So in Charcot-Marie tooth disease, the posterior tibialis and peroneus longus tendons remain strong serving to invert the hind foot and depress the first metatarsal head, thus causing the cavovarus foot associated with this disease. In contrast, the tibialis anterior and peroneus brevis are less functional and therefore cannot dorsiflex the ankle, elevate the first metatarsal, or evert the foot, contributing to the deformity. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Posterior tibialis and peroneus longus. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following foot deformities is commonly seen in patients with Charcot-Marie tooth disease? And the choices are 1. Plantar flexed first metatarsal and hind foot valgus, 2. Plantar flexed first metatarsal and hind foot varus, 3. Dorsiflexed first metatarsal and hind foot valgus, 4. Dorsiflexed first metatarsal and hind foot varus, and 5. Abducted first ray and hind foot valgus. So Charcot-Marie tooth disease is an inherited progressive motor and sensory peripheral neuropathy. 
patients commonly present with bilateral pes cavovarus deformities characterized by plantar flexed metatarsals and a varus hindfoot. So the correct answer to this question is two, plantar flexed first metatarsal and hindfoot varus. Moving on to the next question. A 12-year-old girl who has a history of frequent tripping and falling also has bilateral symmetric hand weakness, high arched feet, absent patellar and Achilles tendon reflexes, and excessive wear on the lateral border of her shoes. She reports that she has multiple paternal family members with similar deformities. She most likely has a defect of what protein? And the choices are 1. Peripheral myelin protein 22, 2. Dystrophin, 3. Type 1 collagen, 4. Alpha-L-Iduronidase, and 5. Cartilage oligomeric matrix protein. So the girl shows clinical features of hereditary motor sensory neuropathy type 1 or Charcot-Marie tooth disease. The most common type of this autosomal dominant disease is due to an underlying defect in the gene coding for peripheral myelin protein 22 on chromosome 17. So the correct answer to this question is 1. Peripheral myelin protein 22. Many other less common mutations have been identified in this family of neuropathies. Dystrophin is a protein that is abnormal in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which affects males and is diagnosed earlier. Type 1 collagen is defective in osteogenesis imperfecta. Alpha-L-Iduronidase is defective in mucopolysaccharidosis type 1, otherwise known as Hurler syndrome. Defective cartilage oligomeric matrix protein is associated with some forms of multiple epiphyseal dysplasia. And moving on to the final question for this review session, a 42-year-old woman with Charcot-Marie tooth disease complains of long-standing foot pain. Orthotics, bracing, and NSAIDs no longer provide relief. She has cavovarus hindfoot deformity that does not correct with Coleman block testing. Radiographs are notable for degenerative changes within the talocalcaneal and calcaneocuboid joints. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment? And the choices are 1. Split tibialis posterior transfer, 2. Triple arthrodesis, 3. Lateral closing wedge calcaneal osteotomy with peroneus longus to brevis transfer, 4. First metatarsal dorsal closing wedge osteotomy, and 5. Achilles tendon lengthening. So Charcot-Marie tooth disease is also known as hereditary motor sensory neuropathy. Characteristic deformity occurs when the weakened peroneal brevis and anterior tibialis succumb to the stronger posterior tibialis and peroneus longus, resulting in a cavovarus foot. Coleman block testing is used to determine whether the deformity is flexible or rigid. Once the foot has become rigid and begins developing arthritic changes, triple arthrodesis is indicated. So the correct answer to this question is 2, triple arthrodesis. Flexible deformities without arthritic changes may be amenable to tendon transfers and dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first ray. That's all for this question review session about molecular biology basics and Charcot-Marie tooth disease. Hopefully this was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.